we are um, working our way through the book of Acts, and we find ourselves in the ninth chapter. These were assigned to us by Sean many weeks ago. You mean you wouldn't have picked this text? I would not have picked this text. Uh, I kind of asked if I could skip it, and he said, sure, you could skip it. But then I thought, no, that's why we go through books of the Bible, is then we have to read them and apply them and see what we do with them. Uh, so if you'll turn with me to chapter 9, beginning with verse 2. We're going to hear about two people that you perhaps don't remember very well. Annas and Dorcas, otherwise known as Tabitha, the daughter on Bewitched. <laughs> but, and Jeffrey's mom. And Jeffrey's mom. <laughs> so Acts 9. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas. He was bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood beside him. Widows stood behind him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had actually made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Tanner. Yes, Tanner. Tanner's right in the other room. Um, I'm uncomfortable sometimes with this passage because the happenings and the faith that go on for Dorcas slash Tabitha, I'm not comfortable with. I, my faith doesn't take me there. I know that for some in some circles within the Christian world in the U.S., they are still participating in and the raising of the dead, and I haven't been part of that. Um, so I just want to tell you that's my place of somewhat uncomfortableness. But what what is interesting to me is we find this for like four chapters. Peter's been absent. We haven't heard anything from Peter. Where is Peter? What is Peter doing? We don't know. And we have in between, we have the narrative of Stephen in the longest sermon in the entire New Testament. And then we have the death of Stephen. 
Stephen the martyr that is stoned then to death. And, and then we have the um, story of the Ethiopian eunuch that Laura shared about. And we have also then that Sean talked about uh, last week and the conversion of Saul Paul. And then all of a sudden, pardon, the second longest sermon. Yes, Sean's was the second largest, longest sermon. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. We're not going to stone you today. And then all of a sudden, out of all of that, we're thrown back into Peter. And the first thing, after all of those narratives, we have this story of Ananias and Dorcas slash Tabitha. I'm going to refer to her as Tabitha, because I think if you had the choice to be called Dorcas or Tabitha, you'd say, please call me Tabitha. What's interesting is we find first with Peter going into Lydda, he found a man that had been paralyzed for eight years. So this is probably like some of the healings of Jesus in the New Testament. This is somebody that everybody in Lydda knew. And remember, we're going back in the, the two centuries. We still have problems today in places that aren't ADA acceptable, right? We, we have places that it's hard for people to manipulate and go into that have... Um, some kind of something that doesn't allow them to function like the majority of, of people. Uh, my daughter's blind and there's still some places sometimes that she has to be extra careful because they're not set up real well for a person that doesn't have much vision. Uh, a, another friend that we're familiar with that is going actually uh, to college in Tennessee at Treveca, she doesn't have much vision at all. And she brought up something that I hadn't thought of there's plexiglass everywhere right now, right? Every place you go, there's plexiglass. Well, someone without much sight doesn't see the plexiglass because that's why we use it is because it's clear so you can see. And she says, you would not believe the number of times I'm smacking into plexiglass because I just don't see that it's there. So I'm just saying that to remember that in Lydda, at this time, there weren't a lot of ramps. There weren't wheelchairs. There weren't so you think of sometimes now of people that are paralyzed and how they're dependent on others. Just think how much more it was at that time. Mm -hmm. We're not given any other information about this gentleman. We don't hear about him before and we don't hear about him after. But the first time we see Peter again, we suddenly have this encounter that Peter meets him, sees that he's been paralyzed and Peter says to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up. And he rises up, he makes his bed, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. They became believers in this Jesus Christ when they saw what was done. Now, here's some things that I think are interesting to me, and we'll go on then to Tabitha, and Tabitha's dead, and Peter then raises her from the dead. I just want you to think about this, that think of what just comes before this. Think of the stoning of Stephen. And Stephen just dies. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the end of Stephen on earth, not the end of his influence. And also we see that in Annas, Annas doesn't say anything. Aeneas doesn't say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Peter's here. Maybe Peter can do something. There's no request. There's no plea. There's no story. There's, there's nothing except for Peter looking and seeing someone who's been paralyzed for eight years. And he just says, hey, get up. 
Jesus Christ has healed you. And so he gets up, he makes his bed, which is not the first thing I would do. <laughs> My mother would be proud of me if that's what they said and Mark was healed and he made his bed immediately. <laughs> but he, he gets up and that's all we know is that he is in fact healed. And for all those around, the neighbors that have known, that have, he's been this known person that see him walking, they come to a belief to be a follower. Then we're met with Tabitha. Tabitha blinks her nose. No, that's a different Tabitha. <laughs> we're met with Tabitha and something perhaps we don't pick up on all the time. This is the only time in the entire New Testament that a woman is referred to as disciple. What? Yeah, this is it. Oh, dang. The female form, I think it's Marthamia, disciple, the female form of disciple. This is the first time and only time that that word is used in context of a woman. So this is saying something about Tabitha. It doesn't mean that there were not other women disciples. But there is specifically pointing out in the story of Tabitha, she was a disciple. She was on that equal footing of the other disciples, of which who is one of them? Peter, right? So it says that basically her life precedes her, her, her giving, her, her charitable actions. She's living this life of charity. We don't know a lot about her. There's no mention of a husband anywhere, which, hey. So if she's single in some way. It doesn't mention that she's a widow. She could be just a single woman disciple. Amen, right? Isn't that? Yeah. It, 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 to wrap your mind around, we just kind of pass up. This is I was ready to pass up Tabitha. By the way, Tabitha just gave you a ton of hearts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I was ready to like, let's skip over Tabitha because I'm so uncomfortable with that faith that can bring the faith of Jesus Christ to have the power to bring back to life for someone who is dead. But I also then skip over the fact she's mentioned as the first female disciple. She's, she's the first, first one mentioned. She's the only one mentioned as a actual disciple. So she had become ill. She had died. They had prepared her body. They had taken it to an upper room. So we know that if it's her house, that Tabitha is a woman of means as well. To have a second floor, you got to have some money to have that second floor. It's also perhaps there's something about her being taken, and they've specifically mentioned, Luke does, she's taken to the upper room. Where else in Acts do we hear of an upper room and the infilling of a Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit doing something the Holy Spirit had not done? So Peter hears of this, he hears from all those around, and they show him the widows that specifically mentions. Now remember a few chapters ago, what was the big problem? Who's ministering to the widows, right? So we have to set this up, we have to pair off some people, and some people have to take over that ministry to administer God's grace to the widows. And this specifically mentions the widows that are gathered there as a testimony to what Tabitha has meant. And not only just this thing that is esoteric, that she was someone who gave and had charity, but they're actually bringing the clothes to say she, she, it doesn't say she paid to have someone make these. 
It says Tabitha made these clothes for us. So in that, we see that Peter hears of this. She's up in the upper room and he asks everyone to leave. I'm wondering why. Why did he ask everyone to leave? It, it helps me because I think maybe he's thinking God might show up and do something here, but I don't want to have anybody hear me ask. <laughs> I don't want anybody to witness to this. There's, I mean, there's some reason that Luke says, he says everybody clear out, right? Mm -hmm. And then it says he prays. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe he needed to cry out and say, God, I don't know what, what is happening, what is going on. I just met all of these people that, that depend on this woman. These people, the widows were just about the lowest class among the peoples, right? They, they didn't have a man. That's how it worked then. They didn't have a man to conduct their business. They didn't have a man. If you remember, even back in the story of Ruth, uh, what was, what was, what they called the, um, the kinsman redeemer because they could, they didn't have that place as a woman. Now, isn't it interesting that we have the widows paired up with Tabitha, the first disciple? I mean, what's happening here in the gospel, what's happening in this story, this narrative of the beginnings of the church, where we're talking about widows, we've got to take care of the widows, and then we're talking about Tabitha, the first disciple. There's so much miracle in the story of Tabitha. There's so much of God's grace and God's care. And then he prays. Again, obviously this time, Tabitha doesn't say anything or request anything because she's dead. She can't. And we don't even know, they went to get Peter. They don't know why they're getting, we don't know why they're even getting him, right? They don't know what everybody's desire is. I don't know. It doesn't say, go get Peter. He probably can raise her from the dead. That didn't seem to be part of um, what they were even thinking about. But they get him, he's up there. They've shown him what he made. Peter puts them all outside and he kneels down and prays. And then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows back in, <laughs> he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon the Tanner. So here's some things. I'm just going to be honest. My faith does not take me to a place that, that I have ever prayed for someone who has died. That I have ever been to that place of faith to think that God could restore a body that is dead back to life. And judge me as you want. Pray for my faith. As was said, this is what I believe helped my unbelief. I'm just being honest with you in that. I, I'm being even to the place that it's the fifth anniversary of who I've always referred to as my sister, a very dear friend, Kelly. We grew up in the Tri-Cities together. She was at Pasco Nazarene. I was at Richland Nazarene. We met at a zone skate <laughs> when I was 13 and she was 14 and her good friend Jolene and it was a triple skate, and Jolene and Kelly came and got this 13-year-old boy and held my hands on each side, Whoa. and we skated around the rink, and we became very, very fast friends from then on. We went to NNU together. 
Uh, she met her husband there. We all lived in Seattle together. Um, during our teen years, when Kelly was 15, she got cancer. And it was a cancer, it was Hodgkin's disease, and at that time it did not have a good prognosis. And she went through cancer treatments, uh, come to Seattle for a while, and she was healed of that cancer. She was able, I always say that she graduated two years before I did of high school, and she didn't go to NNU until I did. And I always said it was because she was waiting for me to go. Um, so we were at NNU together, and then six years ago, she was diagnosed with sarcoma. And they said that her sarcoma had come from the radiation she had received for her Hodgkin's disease when she was 14. And in the way that God does stuff, her cancer care for that time was that they requested for her to go to Seattle Cancer Care, which my wife and I only live less than two miles from there. And we invited Kelly and Brian to come live with us during the times that they needed to be up for treatment and for a year and a half. Sometimes they would come in a week at a time or just a weekend, but they came, we were friends. Um, I was very glad that we lived so close and we walked through that together. Kelly's birthday was the day after mine, but a year later. And so we had celebrated our birthdays once we found that out from the time we were teens. And in fact, we went out on my 18th birthday. I still have a, a little doily thing that they used to put under uh, drinks. And we went to Clicker Dagger, Bigger Staff and Pets in <laughs> Kennewack. That's, that's a great thing to say. And we got some foo-foo drinks, but only two of us got them. And we, of course, were 18. We got virgins. And when the bill came, it said two virgins. And it was oh, Kelly shit. was there and our friend Jolene was there. And myself and Kelly looked at the bill and she looked at us. She said, someone's got some splaining to do. <laughs> so we celebrated our birthdays five years ago on September 3rd and September 4th. And on September 6th, her husband woke up to find her not breathing and was blue. And he called me on that Sunday morning and said, Mark, they're headed to the hospital. The ambulance has come. Kelly wasn't breathing this morning. So we had church and I headed off to the Tri-Cities to be there. And she did rally a little bit in that. And then she died on September 18th, just a few days from now, five years ago. In our talking... through that time period, Kelly's prayer was that she wouldn't be afraid. And it was so beautiful during that 12 days that she was in the hospital and the times that she was coherent, that she came to that place of peace and looked at me and said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. As we were around her and then we all headed to the hospital. Brian's sister had stayed that night with her and she called me and called Brian. I happened to live a little closer to the hospital than Brian and Kelly's family did. So I got there next. She said, you get here quick. They, um, as most hospitals, they did not pronounce her dead until her family got there. But I arrived and I could tell she was gone. 
there was no heartbeat any longer and, and that her, the soul of her was no longer present. And I'm just, I'm saying this whole story because I have to be honest in this scripture came to mind and I thought, is that coming to mind because I'm, I should pray for her to not, not to be dead. And I didn't. Um, and in fact, I, I felt some peace to the fact that I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm at peace with where she is and I'm at peace with the fact she had peace and that, um, and I, I just say that to say, I don't know where you're at. I have other friends that had a dear friend die and they, they spent five hours in the hospital all gathered around praying for her to come back to life. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of that faith, faith. I'm honoring it, that they had that faith. But this is where I'll go. I don't think for my everyday life, it's talking to me about, gee, I really need to have that faith where I can pray for people to be risen from the dead. But I think for me, what it is saying is here are two things mentioned in this narrative. Annas, who'd been paralyzed for eight years, and Tabitha, who's dead. Both seem kind of impossible circumstances. That there's an interjection of the resurrected one into them and the impossible becomes possible. So rather than for me to jump to the place of I'm really trying to get to where I could really have faith for someone to come back to life, I actually need to start with I really have faith for tomorrow. I really have faith as, as we sit in a place that we can hardly even see the water because of the heavy smoke. Because then I think of those that have lost their homes with the fire and, um, and have lost people the toddler in Okanagan that died in the fire and the, the young boy in Oregon that died trying to help his grandmother because fires move so quickly. I think of daily the unrest that we not only see, but we may have, have participated and may have felt from people of color. The brokenness that we are seeing. I think of of wherever you may stand politically, but, but within the political divisions, there's such anger and there's such um, lack of empathy for fellow man. I think of um, a week from Tuesday, We'll be taking Laura, our daughter that I talked about earlier. She's 16 now. She also has a seizure disorder. And we're taking her to Children's for a three-day EEG because we're pursuing if there's a possibility for her to have brain surgery that would alleviate her seizures. And they have been breaking through her medication in this last six months. She had a seizure last night. Um, and those are hard for us as parents and we're, we're, we're prayerfully hopeful. We're thankful for medications. We're thankful she functions in all the great ways that she does, but we're hopeful that perhaps there could be an answer that would alleviate the seizures. I think of my friend, Laura, who 
loves her kids. And I think of Jay and Shay and the possibilities of schooling being different for them. And I know how scary that is for a parent and how, how scary that is for kids. So rather than going to the place of going, oh, Mark, you've got to get to the place that you would have faith that you think that you, you could bring the presence of Christ and pray and Christ would show up and dead people would get up off the table. That would be fantastic. But I'm not really sure about tomorrow. I'm not really sure sometimes in all of our situations, Sarah, will God show up? And why didn't he show up for Timothy? Why didn't they all laugh and say, oh, you think you stoned Timothy? Ha ha, watch out. Boom, Timothy's alive again. They throw more rocks. He goes down again. They go, whoo, watch out. Boom, Timothy's alive again. If nothing else, that would make a great Monty Python movie. But this, Stephen, sorry. Sorry, Timothy. Tim, you, Timothy is a good name. Stephen. Timothy, whatever. Yeah, I think his middle name was Timothy. Well, Timothy is dead. So at some point, Timothy died. In fact, all of them did at some point. At some point, that's what you were saying. Yeah, that's. I was just trying to see if you were like with me. Oh, we're with you. But we don't have every circumstance saying, and the Holy Spirit showed up and. Bad things didn't happen. Sometimes in my life, the Holy Spirit and Jesus has intervened. And the presence of God has kissed into my life on earth. And it's been ever different and changed. And there's times when I've watched a friend suffer from cancer and die. At 53. I've held a stillborn baby, not mine, <laughs> a couple that I married, and they called me to the hospital because they lost their baby. Yeah. I'll never forget that. I've held the hand of many dying people. I've held the hands of many hurting people. I've come alongside people that can't even share the depth of the pain of the things they're going through. And I've always prayed and hoped for Jesus to show up. And I really hope for him to show up in the ways I want him to. So what do we do with Annas and Tabitha? What does it do for us in how we're going to face tomorrow? Is the presence of Christ enough in our lives to get us through? Now in this this narrative, what's good is, is you'll notice neither of these people that the Holy Spirit intervened said anything, right? None of these people were the ones making a request. Again, Tabitha's dead and Annas, we don't know. But we have in Romans that it says, even in our deepest sympathies, in Romans 6, I believe it is, that he enters in through groanings that we cannot even understand. Yeah. 
And in fact, I love the fact that Peter, when he prays, and then Tabitha wakes up when she sees Peter and realizes she's alive, it says, then Peter gave him her his hand and helped her rise. So the Holy Spirit did something, but then also Peter did something. So there are times that we don't even have the faith to think tomorrow's going to be okay. And that's why we have community. That's why we have a community of that's why we have people that pray for us every day. That's why we have people that love us and point to us and share also their life. They share, I made it with God's help. You're going to make it too with God's help. But we're not always going to get off the deathbed. It's not always going to work out exactly how we hoped it would. But do we have enough faith to face tomorrow thinking that his presence is enough? Now, I'll take you to another place that that's hard for me is, is we're coming up to a November 3rd election. And without saying who I'm wishing or hoping maybe or continue to be or who might be in a White House or not in a White House. I find then that I have a shaking of faith to go, but if none of that happens that you deeply hope and pray for, do you still have trust in a God? Can you say, okay, I'll still make it through with his help. So for me, that's what I get out of the stories of Tabitha and Aeneas. May God give, in the giving of his life, and the presence of his spirit, may I have enough faith to make it through tomorrow. That's my prayer for you as well.